Well, today's topic is really important, especially since we got these people wearing jerseys up here. You know, acceptance. Do we accept people who support other teams? Um, I just think about, um, you know, the. I, I just have to say this, this topic this morning is so incredibly important, and it is actually something that I am in super passionate about. Um, you know, um, the, the proper expression of God's love toward our brothers and sisters in Christ and toward the lost is critical. And I, I have personally experienced and I have personally seen the damage that happens in people's lives to the reputation of Christ when biblical love is not expressed the way God has told us to express it. I've seen churches that are supposed to be a light. Um, they're supposed to, to reach people with truth. They're supposed to have God's powerful, transforming message of the gospel. And because they accept the wrong things, because they interpret acceptance incorrectly, they, they become a place that encourages people and whisks them on down the road to eternal destruction and toward destruction in this life. I've seen other churches that they have the truth and they're committed to the truth. But because they don't express biblical acceptance, because they don't express biblical love, they hide God's truth from people who need it. They damage and destroy people whose hearts have been ripped open because of sin. And instead of being that loving, merciful, gracious, forgiving place that takes people back to health, they become a place that we describe it as shooting the wounded. And so it's so, so important that we think through the importance of the proper biblical exp, uh, expression of acceptance. Because Satan wants us to accept the wrong things or to not accept the way God wants. Like an accepting place, Satan loves that as long as it accepts wrong. Uh, or, or a harsh, unloving, uncaring place, Satan also loves that. And so we need to make sure that we are the people that God wants us to be. So we're going through our mission statement, and I love this phrase in our mission statement. And just as a reminder, no mission statement is scripture. I didn't write our church's mission statement. So I didn't write it. It's not scripture. It was here before I got here, and, and I really like it. And, but it is incredibly important that we understand it correctly and that we know that a mission statement doesn't drive what we do. God's word drives what we do. And we look at mission statements and say, do they help us focus on what God wants us to focus on? And um, do they summarize what God has taught? And so uh, th that's what we do with uh, mission statements. Some people, they come up with a mission statement, then they correct scripture with it. <laughs> that's not what we do here. Um, there are some people who they focus on a mission statement instead of scripture. So let's look at our mission statement. Our mission statement is this. Foothills Church exists to glorify God and to make disciples. That's why we're here. Everything that we do and everything you do as a Christian should be to glorify God and to make disciples. And to, to really think that through is important. For example, Paul knows how to do well with much, and he knows how to do well when he's in poverty. And, and actually taking a walk and just looking at the beauty that God has put around us, enjoying the good things that God gives us, that is part of enjoying God. That is part of glorifying God. And so everything that we are to do 
as believers is to glorify God and to make disciples. And then our, so that's our, that's our purpose. And then we have these two ways that we do that. We do that by unconditionally accepting people where they are while encouraging a transforming life in Christ. Now, I have to tell you, when I read this, I, there are some things that I really love about how we do this phrase. This is what we're talking about this morning. Unconditionally accepting people where they are. That unconditional and accepting people where they are, I love that. Do you see that as like an exclamation point? I mean, it just says, yeah, we accept people, but it's unconditional. That there's no limits to our, ex- our accepting of people. And we accept people where they are. Man, that is so important. So I like that because of how it emphasizes our statement. But I will tell you this, I actually hate those words too. And, and I hate those words from this perspective. So I love them and I hate them. I love them because they emphasize. But the thing I don't like about it is it would be very, very easy to misunderstand what unconditional acceptance is and what it means to unconditionally accept somebody where they are. Um, What does that mean? How do you define that? Because we need to make sure we're defining that biblically. So I love it. It's an exclamation point. But we need to interpret it in light of our mission statement. See, some people look at unconditionally accept people where they are, and how they apply that is they worship people. Um, what do you think? You know, your ideas are just as important as God's. And whatever ideas you have, if your ideas are in conflict with God's ideas, well, hey, we, we hold that up and we exalt that because we unconditionally accept people. Whatever they think, every idea has equal value. When the Bible says, If somebody rejects God or rejects what God says, they're a fool. And so unconditional acceptance has conditions. And we unconditionally accept people where they are. Um, But that doesn't mean that we don't recognize that people where they are need to change. You know, I've heard many people say we come to God as we are. God loves us so we can come to him as we are. But God loves us way too much to leave us that way. See, there are some people that they could take unconditional acceptance. We unconditionally accept people where they are. And they would have to cross out many verses in Scripture to apply that the way that they think it should be applied. And so hopefully this morning, uh, by the end of the morning, you'll understand the power and the importance of unconditionally accepting people where they are. But you will also interpret that biblically. And, and I'll just tell you this. If you keep number one and number two in mind, Foothills Church exists to glorify God and to make disciples. And if you say we're going to unconditionally accept people, but not in a way that stops us from glorifying God and not in a way that stops us from making disciples. If we interpret that phrase in the context of our own mission statement, We will never misapply it. That's kind of the cool thing here. So I want to just ask you for a second to picture who's a person or a kind of person that really irritates you, that you have a hard time with. Uh, Don't shout out any names. Um, Don't look around the room, you know, intently at a single person. 
But I just want to—I just want to ask you: What kinds of things bug you? See, we need to think about that specifically when we talk about unconditional acceptance. So, what, what happens if this morning, as people are coming into church, some guy shows up and he's a skinhead? He's got tattoos all over himself. He's got a swastika tattooed on his forehead tattoos all over himself and he walks into the doors of our church and he kind of has like a a bad attitude and you notice that as he walks into the auditorium or he's looking around and uh, the ushers like starts to take him to seat him somewhere and he's like no I don't want to sit in that row no I don't want to go over to that part of the church and and you notice um, based on his swastika and his general appearance, I think I know why he doesn't want to sit in that row. I think I know why he doesn't want to go over there. And then he goes, you know what, I'll I'll sit in this chair over here. And when he picks his chair, you go, hmm, I think I understand why he wants to sit in that chair. So, So I just have a question for you. What is biblical love and biblical acceptance? How does unconditional acceptance display itself? You're going to smile? You're going to be warm and friendly? You're going to bring this person a cup? You're going to act like you're glad they're here? And I would just say, you should. That's biblical acceptance. That's unconditionally accepting people where they are. And um, so just think about that. Uh, Fill that in with whoever irritates you. And um, we're going to end today by talking about How do you share the gospel with a person like that? What happens if at the end of the service he comes forward and says, man, I really feel convicted, um, and I think I want to put my faith in Christ? Uh, How does that conversation go? What kinds of things do you talk about as you're sharing the gospel? What is part of sharing the gospel? And uh, you can take that white supremacy. You can take that type of hatefulness. And you can replace that with any kind of sin. Because the truth is, it's not different. And so, let's uh, continue on and let's uh, consider a few things. First of all, uh, we find the word acceptance in the Bible. We're going to go through Romans chapter 14, um, verse uh, 1 through 13, and also Romans chapter 15, verse 7. And that's where you actually find, like, the word acceptance is a biblical word. And so as we consider unconditional acceptance, um, we'll we'll be jumping in there in a second, but I just want to define it. It's actually the word for receive. It's the word, the biblical word for receiving, uh, to grasp, to take hold of, to receive. But then there's this preposition that's added to it, and so it's kind of a longer word. And that preposition intensifies it. And it's used in Scripture as taking somebody to the side to talk to them. Uh, Not in a good way. In fact, we'll look at an illustration. Peter took Jesus aside to tell him something, (laughs) to to rebuke him. Uh, Peter took Jesus aside to rebuke him. This is this acceptance. But the point is that you're grabbing a hold of and bringing. Um, Eating food. Like when you just take that and you put it into yourself and you, you eat that food. Those are some of the ways that this word is used, and it just has the idea of grabbing a hold of something and bringing it close. And I'll just tell you how important 
biblical acceptance is. Um, you accepting people the way God intends for us to accept them. You know, um, I, when I think about this phrase, um, I could say to genuinely love people where they are. That's another way to say it that's maybe less confusing. To, um, when you think about the priority of biblical love, how important it is. You know, we've all heard this at weddings and just... Um, just close your eyes and picture what is being stated, how important this idea of, sac- of acceptance and genuine love is. I'm just going to read it. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. It doesn't matter how talented you are. doesn't matter how beautiful your voice is. doesn't matter how good you are at anything. If you don't have love, everything you do is terrible. That's what that says. Um, The tongue of men and angels is equated with a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to move mountains, I mean, okay, you know everything. You know everything about what God says. You have such powerful faith that, man, you just, whatever you say happens. Whatever you pray for happens. That's how powerful your knowledge is. But 1 Corinthians says that if you have that and you have not love, you are nothing. Can you imagine a person with that kind of power and ability and talent and without love, you're nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And then we have this description of biblical love. Love is patient and kind and does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Um, acceptance, biblical acceptance, that's how you define it. That's, that's what that looks like in your life. That, that is an indispensable quality for you it is an indispensable quality for the church. So, like, let's just take that, that list. You're impatient. You're unkind. Um, you envy other people. You are a little br- prideful and you boast about things. Um, you're rude. See, if, if that's true of you, then you are not a biblically accepting person. And so we all struggle with those things, right? So if we want this church to be accepting, we have to understand and embrace and apply those things. Now think about that, how those things I just mentioned, how are those things applied to this white supremacist who walked into our church and would only sit in a row that had other white people in it? So how how do we apply all these things to that person? But you know, this description of love, it, it doesn't actually stop there. It goes on, and it says, uh, love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
And then verse 6, this is a, a key understanding of what it means to be biblically accepting, what it means to be a biblically, genuinely loving person. Is that it says this, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. So biblical love and biblical acceptance never celebrates sin. It loves people, loves people that are um, overcome and have all kinds of sin in their life, but love never rejoices, and, and love and a biblical church and biblical Christianity never welcomes or celebrates sin. See, there's a ton of churches that when they practice biblical acceptance, they welcome and throw their arms around sin. That's satanic acceptance. It goes on, and it says uh, it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. See, love and biblical acceptance is focused on truth. Um, It goes on and it says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So um, I say this morning, let's, let's grab one of the passages where this word for acceptance, this biblical concept of acceptance is found. Let's just read it and see what we can learn. And think through what are things that make it hard for us to be loving and accepting? What are the things that get in the way? And what really drives biblical acceptance? So let's jump in here. Uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 1 through 13. If you have your Bibles, I mean, I hope you do. If you have your phones, everybody has their phone. Open it up and let's, let's read this. Romans chapter 14, verse 1, and this should be so incredibly encouraging to you because biblical acceptance flows from God himself. One of the great things is is that we need to embrace and understand is that the acceptance God calls us to is actually acceptance that he expresses. And so as you think about who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do, keep in mind this is how God views you. This is how God accepts you. And so let's just look at this. And I think a lot of times people have failed to grasp God's love for them. And for that reason, they failed to express it to other people. Well, let's look at chapter 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over his opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything while... The weak person eats vegetables only. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. So this is the illustration here is you have these two people that have a different view of what kind of food they should eat. And so one person's like, man, you can't eat meat. And specifically, you cannot eat meat that's sacrificed to idols. And another person says, no, you should eat vegetables. And so you have these people who have this differing view on a theological issue, what's okay to eat and what's not okay to eat. And, and what it says here is welcome and accept people with a different view. Is it a sin to eat meat? <laughs> no. Is it a sin not to eat meat? No. And so... Um, 
if it's not a sin and a person has a different view, you welcome people and you don't pass judgment on each other. See, a lot of times, a lack of love and a lack of acceptance is because we're judging each other. We're judging each other about personal choices. People are praying before God, hey, what should I do? How should I handle the situation? And because we come to a different conclusion, we judge each other. And, and, and you just have everybody's judging each other. The, the guy who's not eating, which, by the way, <laughs> the guy who doesn't eat is weak in this passage. He is, his conscience is not fully informed. He actually thinks it's wrong to eat meat when it's not. And that drives him to do something that's not wrong. And it's saying, you spiritual mature person, don't look down on a person who says, I love God, I want to honor God, I think this is wrong, so I'm not going to do it. And you weak person, you think you're not supposed to eat meat. Don't sit around judging other people who are eating meat. And the important thing here is that it ends by saying, for God has welcomed him. Do you know what matters, acceptance that matters, is God's acceptance. And when God loves you and when God welcomes you, man, we welcome each other because God has welcomed each other. And when you look at somebody who's everything in their life isn't what it should be, but you just think to yourself, God loves that person. And God has welcomed that person. So I'm going to love and welcome that person. Right? Think about that. Um, This white supremacist, you know God loves that guy. He does, right? So we should love him too. We should welcome him because God welcomes him. And there's going to be some definitions of what all that means coming a little later. You know, um, it's really important for all of us to understand <laughs> nobody reports to us. Everybody reports to God. Think about this in verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. So are there ever people you see in your life that you struggle to accept them? Because they just have the same problems over and over. They just never go away. You ever heard somebody say, yeah, but that person will never change. Um, have you ever thought about this? Man, people answer to God, they don't answer to us. You want to know what is so amazing about that verse right there? It says he will stand because God can make him stand. You know, one of the things I think is often our attitude toward people flows from a lack of understanding God's power to change people. We look at somebody and say, they haven't changed yet, and they'll never change. Um, Do you ever struggle with that in your own life? Do you ever have sins in your life that have kind of gone on and on? It's like you go, yeah, this has kind of plagued me for the last 20 years. I know I should be merciful and gracious to people, but I'm still not. I know I shouldn't be prideful toward people, but I still am. I know I shouldn't lie, but I still struggle with telling the truth. I have this certain sin that just always seems to be in my life, dominating my life. Like it just for years it's been there. In fact, I sin so much in that area that sometimes I don't even feel guilty about it anymore. You ever look at yourself and just feel like I can't change? See, one of the things you need to know is that you're God's servant, and if you are a child of God, you can change. It's not that you can change because of your power, but God can change you. You know, he he is able to stand because God is the one who's able to make him stand. And I think sometimes because we fail, 
to do the things that release God's power in our lives because we fail to do those things and we don't see change in our life, we think other people can't change. And so we accept people and we welcome people and we recognize if he's not changing, it's because he's not doing the things that God has told him to do. And when I'm not changing, it's because I'm not doing the things that God has told me to do. Because through the power of the Holy Spirit, change is possible. In fact, it's not only possible, it is guaranteed. And sometimes our weak Christian living hinders the way we view other people. And often because we haven't dealt with those sin struggles in our life the way God intends us to, we're actually unable to help other people. We don't know these steps are how you get victory. So when we see somebody else struggling, we don't know how to step into their life and help them change. Um, by the way, that's discipleship, right? One of the things the church was called to do, that we teach people to obey everything God's commanded. Judgmental churches are not discipling churches. So he goes, first of all, okay, people don't report to us. Um, pride is really what drives a lack of acceptance, failing to grasp God's power. Think about the Pharisees. They were so prideful and arrogant. They looked down on other people. Accepting, get this, accepting other people flows from the understanding that everybody exists for God's glory. Like, did you know that? Like when you were reading uh, our church mission statement, when you read accept everybody as they are, did you in the midst of that, surrounded in that statement, overwhelming in that statement, realize, oh, wow, hey, that's about God's glory. See, what probably happened is as you read that mission statement, you got man-centered. See, the beginning part's God-centered, but this part's man-centered. And what you didn't realize is, no, this part is actually also God-centered. Well, well, let's read it. Verse 4, verse 5. One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord. And gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again. That he might be Lord, both of the living and the dead. See, what, what you don't realize is that everything everybody does is for God's glory. So when you say, I don't want to eat meat, it's because you think it's wrong and you want to please God by not eating meat. And when you do eat meat, it's because you want to please God and you want to enjoy the good gifts that God's given. When you, when you say, I'm not going to work on Sunday, <laughs> we could say, no, Sunday's not the Sabbath. You know, all the Sabbath rules don't apply to Sunday. But one person's like, no, I read all that stuff, and, and so I want to apply that. And I'm not going to work on Sunday because I'm going to honor God with, on Sunday. And you have somebody else who says, no, every day I honor God. 
I honor God when I go to work, and I honor God when I stay home. And, and if in my life I can worship God and prioritize God by worshiping on a Saturday night instead of on a Sunday morning, the bottom line is I am not going to miss fellowshipping in the body of Christ. That, that's a priority God gives me. And whether I stick that on Saturday or Sunday, under no circumstances do I let a job or anything else come between what God has called me to do and worshiping God. And, you know, uh, your employer says, no, you have to work in that spot where you normally worship God. That's an easy decision for a Christian. You just quit your job because nothing is more important than worshiping God. And that's what he says here. The purpose of everybody's life is to glorify God. And so the guy who's not eating is doing it for God's glory. The guy who's eating is doing it for God's glory. So why would you judge each other? Our purpose is God's glory. How about verse 10? Um, We're going to be biblically accountable. (laughs) Think about this. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? See, that's a lack of biblical love. That is a lack of biblical acceptance. It's when you despise people for what you perceive to be their flaws. And guess what? (laughs) They may be flaws, genuine flaws. And it also might be a flaw on your part that you think that's a flaw. Like all the people who say, you go to church on Saturday night, you compromising sinner, we go on Sunday. Um, Or the people who go to church on Saturday night and they say, no, The Old Testament says worship on Saturday. So you guys who go to church on Sunday, you're all a bunch of compromisers. See, some people actually misunderstand things, and that's why they judge people. And you've got to recognize some of the things you want to judge people for is not their problem, it's your problem. And that's the humility that we bring to how we function in the body of Christ. So we don't despise people. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Uh, For as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So doesn't that make things easier? You're responsible for you. And they're responsible for them. And there's a peace in that. And that does not discount all the things God says about our responsibilities to each other. But first and foremost, you make sure you're honoring God in your life. Isn't that, isn't that Matthew 7, 1 through 7? Don't judge lest you be judged. Get the log out of your own eye before you worry about the speck in someone else's. You feel that despising inside yourself? Don't go talk to anybody. You deal with that issue first. Uh, let's go on. You know, we accept people for their well-being. You know, that's one of the things that a lack of acceptance, a lack of biblical love is incredibly harmful and destructive. Man, it destroys people. It destroys churches. It takes a church that's supposed to be an expression of God's mercy and grace and kindness and is supposed to point people to salvation, and it makes it a brutal unloving place where when somebody's struggling with sin, they don't want to go there. That's the last place they want to go. When when a person has a sin struggle in their life, they desperately need to talk to other Christians and say, help me. 
Tell me what God says. Love me. Encourage me. But because the church is a brutal, unloving, unkind place, you have people that are struggling and they're afraid to tell anybody anything. They're afraid that anybody will find out what they're struggling with because the last time that happened, they were slapped around. And they're like, I'm already hurting and I don't need more of that. So um, we accept people because it's so necessary for their well-being. Um, look at verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. See, people's long-term well-being is what drives our love. It is what drives our acceptance of people. We care about them. We know how harmful it is when somebody's struggling with sin and they can't talk about it. Hey, we, we all know that, right? Have you ever keep your struggles a secret? <laughs> Why? That's because you don't want people to know. Because when people have found out before, it didn't help you, it hurt you. And so it's important for us as believers, and by the way, mature believers are this way. Prideful, harsh, unloving people are not <laughs> spiritually mature. Um, that is an expression of a lack of maturity. You want to know who else is um, not mature? People who wrap their arms around everything, who throw their arms around everything, who think that biblical acceptance is celebrating sin. Who think bi biblical acceptance is saying to this, this white supremacist, hey, that's who you are. That is who God made you to be. And so we love you. We love you just as you are. That is your identity. That's who you are. And for that white supremacist to say, you're going to reject my white supremacy? That's who I am. You can't reject that without rejecting me. And so then we got a whole bunch of people that just throw their arms around that, and they love that, and they accept it, and they welcome it. That is also a spiritually immature person who thinks that that's okay. Um, let's think for a second about Jesus, right? Because our, our uh, acceptance is supposed to be like Jesus' acceptance. So how did Jesus accept people? Well, I don't know. Let's think about that. Um, I think about this. Um, Luke 15, 1, and by the way, I had a hard time narrowing it down to this. Uh, this verse gets repeated over and over and over in the New Testament. That's what it says. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. Tax collectors and sinners liked Jesus. They went and ate with him. They sat at his table. That's one of the main things that the Pharisees criticized him about. Pharisees criticized him because... Wherever Jesus was, was all the bad people. I had a question for you. Um, do uh, wicked people, sinful people, are they drawn to you? Do they like you? If um, that white supremacist walked in here, and you were white, because <laughs> he hates everyone who's not white, but, but if a white supremacist walked in here and you were white, would he look around and see a smile, warm greeting on your face and want to come sit by you? The kind of person who'd, who who would enjoy being there. Let's label any other kind of sin that walks through the door of our church. Would that person feel like sitting 
by you, would you go up and talk to them? Would you be welcoming and gracious to them? That's how Jesus was. Um, he was welcoming and gracious to people with serious problems. Um, look at the Pharisees, verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. Uh, so he told them this parable. He tells them a parable. But you know, the end of the story, Jesus says, I came to save sinners. Um, that's why Jesus is here and that's why you're here. Like sinners shouldn't run from you. People should gravitate toward you the way they did to Jesus. Um, how about Zacchaeus? Yeah, he was hated. He was a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector. Everybody hated him. Jesus went to his house and he says, salvation came to your house today. And they didn't like him. And then he brought all his sinful friends to meet Jesus too. How about the woman uh, who was washing Jesus' feet? The Pharisees said, man, if, if you're a prophet, you'd know this woman was a sinner. And Jesus is like, yeah, no, I am a prophet, and I do know she's a sinner. And uh, people are for gonna ever gonna, uh, they're forever going to tell this story about what she did for me. Jesus loved her, and he knew she was a sinner. Um, how about the Samaritan woman? Disciples show up. They're kind of surprised Jesus is talking to her. But, you know, we should evaluate the conversation. Jesus is like, hey, who are you married to? Uh, how many times have you been married? And uh, he tells her, yeah, not only have you been married multiple times, you're living with somebody you're not married to right now. Like that's his opening, welcoming, greeting conversation with her is to say, uh, you got a serious problem, you're in sin. And her response is to say, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> but you want to know what's weird? You want to know what's weird about that? Like think about that. She's a Samaritan. Jesus puts his finger on a sin problem in her life. And she runs into town, and she gets all of her friends, and she says, come meet this guy. And at the end of it, they say, before we believe because of what you said, but now we believe because of what we've seen with our own eyes. Now, I want to ask you a question. When the Pharisees were pointing out the sin in this woman's life, uh, this foot washer lady, uh, the way they pointed out that sin um, did she want to go get her friends and bring them to meet the Pharisees? See, that's part of the problem with the church is that we're supposed to point out sin. But sometimes we do it like a Pharisee instead of doing it the way Jesus did it. So we don't avoid sin. But we don't point it out in a prideful, ungracious, unloving way. Um... You know, uh, how did Paul view God's acceptance in his life? You know, in, uh, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says that he is the chief of sinners. See, Jesus Christ came to save me, and I'm the biggest sinner I know. And you want to know something? Um, that, that understanding uh, made Paul the kind of person that sinners wanted to talk to. Um, what about biblical rejection? Have you thought about biblical rejection? Like, that's a nice thing about how Jesus accepted people. How did Jesus reject? Well, let's think about this. Um, was this a very accepting phrase? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves, nor do you allow those who would go in. Jesus says to these religious leaders, you're going to hell, and everybody who's a friend of yours is going to hell with you. How, how accepting and loving was that? Um, what, a, what about the way Jesus responded to Peter? 
Peter comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go to the cross. And Peter uh, says here, and Peter took him aside and rebuked him. That word for taking aside, that's the acceptance word. It's to grab somebody close. But he takes him uh, aside to rebuke him, and he says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Uh, but he turned. And Jesus was really accepting of Peter's ideas. And he just said, hey, Peter, we all have different views of truth. And you can have your own truth, and I have my own truth. And, you know, everybody, nobody's ideas is, are worth more than anyone else's. That how Jesus responded to Peter? Uh, he says, um, get behind me, Satan. Call Peter Satan. We didn't call him Satan, but he looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a satanically influenced individual. And then he says, you're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, sometimes people's understanding of biblical acceptance would rule out a conversation like that. And you know what? Those conversations should not be ruled out. Sometimes they're necessary. Um... How about Titus 3.10? As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and is self-condemned. See, biblical acceptance sometimes means you walk up to a person and say, you can't come to church here anymore. That's biblical acceptance. And uh, there's tons of people who hear about biblical, who hear about unconditionally accept everyone where they are, thinks that means you can't say to a person, you're not welcome here anymore. Sometimes that is the most loving and most critical and most important thing to do for that person and the whole church. And um, all the other passages in Scripture that talk about if a person won't, eat, won't work, don't let them eat. You know, the times that parents have hard choices to make and they say to their kid, these things continue, you can't live here anymore. Um, is that biblical acceptance? See, sometimes we compromise and we do things that destroy people that we say we love in the name of acceptance. It's not biblical acceptance. Um, let's think about number two. Biblical acceptance is motivated by God's glory. Let's just read one verse here, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Everything we do is driven by a reverence and a worship for God. Um, when you reject people, when you fail to biblically accept people, um, actually that says something about your relationship with God. Um, 1 John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he hasn't seen. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Um, see, obedience in the Christian life, we teach people to obey. That, that's what God's put us here on earth for. But here's the deal is that we don't force external religion into people's lives. It's not about checking a box and let me make a list of religious, pap uh, religious duties that you're supposed to do. That is not what we do in church. We teach people to obey out of faith. And faith just says, God, you're real. Faith says, God, you are the creator of the universe. Faith says, you have a right to tell me what to do because you're God. I'm going to do whatever you tell me. And faith says, God, I believe that you're good and that you reward people who obey you. 
See, obedience always flows from genuine faith because if you trust God, that he knows what's best, that he can take care of you, you will always obey him. And just like last week, when you get pregnant out of wedlock and you go, yeah, that was a mistake, and you say, I, I feels like I'm in a no-win situation, but faith says, God, you have a right to tell me what to do, and murdering is not one of the things you told me to do. And God, you're good, and if I obey you, you will forgive me in what seems like an impossible situation. God, nothing is impossible for you, so I will obey. Faith flo uh, obedience flows out of faith. And obedience flows out of love. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego st standing there looking at that furnace. And they just said, God, I love you. And even if I'm not saved, I'm not worshiping an idol. And so f obedience always flows from genuine faith and love for God. And our problem is sometimes we try to force external religion into people's lives instead of saying, no. How do you cultivate in a person a heart of faith toward God and love toward God? And do we recognize that when people don't obey, it's because they don't have faith and it's because they don't love God? See, it's not this fix the behavior. <laughs> like there's people who do these really sinful things and people don't look and go, oh, your heart's not where it should be. They look and say, this behavior's bad. How can we stop this behavior? And if you stop the behavior, guess what? You've accomplished nothing. When the truth is, you stop that behavior, and all the hundred other times that behavior is going to happen by correcting faith and by correcting love, by working on the heart. And that is something that we do, but it takes God's spiritual intervention. We're not in control of that, but that's what we're praying for, and that's what we're working on. That's discipleship that we teach people to obey and that we're doing that with an attitude of love. You know, we have to identify and reject. Um, we've got to identify and reject worldly acceptance. And I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Um, it just, th this is the Corinthian church, right? And the Corinthian church is going to pride themselves in their acceptance which is so weird if you read 1 Corinthians and acceptance. Like those two words don't go together for that church. Um, Paul says it's actually reported that there is a sexually immoral person among you of a kind that's not even tolerated among pa pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Paul says, this guy calls himself a Christian, and he's living in sin, and he's showing up to church every day. Man, you tell him not to come back. Uh, that's what Paul says to them. You're, you pride yourself in that. Look how gracious and loving you we are. You ought to be mourning over what's happening. And that doesn't mean that we're <laughs> trying to find anybody in sin and tell them not to come back, because I just tell you guys, you'd all have to leave. Um, and uh, they wouldn't let me in here either. But there's something significant. It's one thing when a person falls and gives in to sin. It's another thing when a person just says, yeah, actually, I don't, I don't care about God at all. I don't care about what he says. And I'm just going to make a decision to do my own thing. Um, I'm not going to blow it on Friday night. I'm actually going to go sign a rental contract with my girlfriend. Like, there is a very big difference between falling into sin and choosing a life of sin. 
And Paul's just saying, who's going to get involved? Who's going to call this person to faithful obedience? Uh, let's just take our white supremacist example. Uh, he comes to church. He says, man, I'm really feeling convicted. I, I would like to come to Christ. And, and if, if you could do me a favor and put me in a seat somewhere where there's nobody of, of a non-white race. And he, and he wants to pray to receive Christ. And we say, absolutely, we love you. We accept you as you are. We'll make a special chair for you. And uh, by the way, go back and, and what do you, so what are you going to do tonight? Well, tonight we're going to go um, uh, catch some, uh, some cars on fire of some people of not white race. We're going to burn their houses and we're going to threaten them. We're going to beat some people up and see if we can get them to leave the neighborhood. Hey, <laughs> every Christian struggles with sin. <laughs> so you're welcome. Uh, and we realize that, I mean, it's not best. I mean, if I was to give you some advice as to what you should do, I would say that's bad, bad advice, but I mean, I get it. Everybody does that stuff. Uh, by the way, here's some business cards. Um, go to your group of friends and um, give them all a business card to Foothills Church and tell them you just became a Christian and, and you're a part of our church family and they should come too because we welcome everybody here. Um, does that confuse the gospel? Um, I think so. Um, See, worldly acceptance, actually, it's interesting. Uh, first of all, it's weak, and it doesn't reject what it's supposed to reject. The other thing is it's hateful. Like, think about our current tolerance, right? Think about the intolerance of tolerance. Like, I actually love racial sensitivity, personally. Like, there's a lot of things wrong with what's going on uh, po um, politically, but I actually, personally, I really like the fact that you're supposed to be careful about what you say. I think that's actually an important thing. That's like of, of the million wrong things, that's a good thing. And um, so, you know, just with that, the, the world is so hateful. Think about this. They go through people's history and find somebody who how many years ago put on a dress or who made some comment or who did something when they were like 12 or 11 and then we're going to fire them today because of something they did way back then because they don't fit into our scenario. Man, how unloving and how hateful is tolerance? The world's view of tolerance. That's not us as Christians. We say we don't care what your problem was or even what you're currently struggling with. Jesus has the answer to that. You know, this Corinthian church, they prided themselves in their, their loving grace, right? Um, but 1 Corinthians 1.11, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you. That church constantly fought. When they wrote about Paul, like the guy who led them to Christ, their pastor, this is what they say about him. His letters are, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak. His speech is of no account. Paul thinks he's tough when he's writing a letter. He's a weak sissy in person. That's what they're saying about their pastor. This is this loving, gracious, welcoming church. Compromisers are never loving and welcoming. Because ultimately, when you compromise like that, that's never about God. That's always about you. Um, biblical acceptance is critically necessary for spiritual health in your life and in the lives of others. I think about you got some husband and wife, and the husband's kind of struggling with Internet stuff or some other kind of sin. 
And when he comes home, if anybody actually finds out what's really going on in his life, man, that's a disaster. Um, is that spiritually healthy? Is that beneficial? Is that good? Or, or would it be better for a person to be able to come home and say, hey, here's how I'm struggling. This is, this is a sin issue in my life, and I need help, and you're part of the solution. Will you pray for me, and can I confess that, and can we encourage each other? And I have a wife who says, actually, that does kind of hurt me, but the truth is that his spiritual well-being is more important than whatever else I feel like I need. And actually, the way to get the best husband is to get a husband that loves the Lord and honors the Lord and obeys the Lord. And if he's struggling with this sin and keeping it a secret, that's going to damage our marriage. So what can I do to help him be a godly, faithful man? Same thing with the, the wife or the husband and how he treats his wife. Is, do you say your spiritual well-being is my priority? And is that what the church is like? When somebody's struggling, they can go for help. Because it's not about us. It's about people's spiritual well-being. There are a ton of ways that a lack of, exp- of, of acceptance is damaging and it's harmful and it leads people to be slaves to sin. And here's what I want you to know. God knows everything about you and he loves you. Now, Romans 5.8 says God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You don't need to clean yourself up first. You can't clean yourself up first. You just come to Christ as you are. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God transforms his children. And if you're not transformed, you're not his child. And that's one of the things we're looking for in people's lives. Not is there an absence of sin, but is there evidence of spiritual transformation? So this, this white supremacy, supremacist comes to me, and he says, this is not a true story, by the way. Uh, he comes to me, and he says, man, I really felt convicted by that sermon, and I want to become a Christian. I know I'm a sinner, and I've done some things that are wrong, and I want to confess and repent and become a Christian. So in the process of that conversation, I'm going to say, I noticed you've got a swastika on your forehead. Like, tell me about that. And what are you planning to do tonight? And, oh, you're a part of the KKK. You realize this is what God says about that. And for you to become a Christian means you don't get to treat people that way. You can't think about people the way that you're wanting to think about people. You don't get to go tonight. You don't get to become a Christian today and then go tonight and burn somebody's house. You can't do that. Because Jesus says, whoever wishes to come after me will deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And whoever is not willing to come to me and hate his brother, brother, father, sister, and even his own life cannot be my disciple. So I know that these are your really good friends, and when you were in prison, they protected you, and you feel like you want to support them. But coming to Christ means you reject that. Isn't that how Jesus shared the gospel? Remember the rich guy? Hey, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he just picked, well, for this guy, it's white supremacy. For somebody else, it's that they live with somebody they're not married to. For somebody else, it's that they're questioning their gender. For somebody else, like, let's just make a list of what these things are. For this rich man, it was idolatry. He loved his stuff. And just like anybody would say to anybody we're sharing the gospel with, 
Um, is that more important to you than God? Then you can't be Jesus' disciple. Now, if this guy comes to Christ, do we say, first of all, you have like this internal negative reaction to anybody who's not white. So until that's gone, you can't come to Christ. Do we say that? If you become a Christian, your heart's going to be filled with love. Now, you've spent your whole life developing habits of hatred. But when you become a Christian, your whole heart is just immediately going to be filled with love for everyone. You know, actually, sometimes that happens, but not always. We might say that you spent your whole life developing these habits of sin. You don't think right. You've practiced hate. And so for you to come to Christ, it may take a long time for those things to change. You may be regularly repenting of those things. So that's not to say everything's perfect. But what it comes down to is when Jesus enlightens your heart spiritually, you will choose him. And what we do in the church, and we're not loving, we're not accepting, and when we share the gospel with people, we think to ourselves, this guy's in the KKK, I tell him he's got to like mixed race people, he won't come to Christ. And so let's not tell him that, let's, tell him, let's get him to pray the prayer, and maybe next year we'll talk to him about his racism. Let's love him first and show him that we care about them. Then we'll talk to him about his racism. What happens is if God's working in his heart, he's going to get saved right then. And if he's not willing to turn his back on his racism, he's not a Christian. That's not salvation. Let's not confuse him and make him think it is. Let's not confuse the message to his friends or the rest of the world about what a Christian is. See, we're not saved by our works, but a Christian has a regenerated heart. Christians struggle with sin on an ongoing basis, but the church is a loving place where we all say, no, this is what God says. This is how I'm working on that. Let me help you work on it. So when we think about unconditionally accepting people where they are, hopefully that is a little more clear. Let me pray. God, thank you for giving us your word. It is so incredibly important for us to love people, Lord, for us to not try to squeeze religion and good works into people's lives or to ever view sinful actions as an ultimate problem. God, we know that you love us, that you accept us. Help us to love and accept people, but help us to be clear about what a real relationship with you is like. That, Lord, we would... Be patient, kind, gracious, and loving, but never, never celebrate sin. Never decide that we worship people instead of worshiping you. God, help us, help this church to be a place where sinners love to come and where they meet you and where their lives are transformed in your name. Amen.